Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson. Excited that you're listening to us here today, as you do each and every weekday. We're glad that you're making us your first listen when it comes to all things Duke athletics. All right, so as we get ready for today's show, I do want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. On today's show, I'm so honored and thrilled. For the first time in 2022, I get to bring on my good friend Jason Evans from the Duke Basketball Report to talk about our Duke Blue Devils, recapping the Georgia Tech game from earlier in the week. Coming up on Saturday, the Blue Devils have a contest versus Miami, so plenty of things to discuss with Jason Evans as he joins us here now on the show. Jason, Happy New Year to you. Thanks. Hey, Happy New Year back to you. Yeah, back to you, JJ. Uh, uh, I hope you had a a pleasant celebration, um, probably not quite as wild as we would all like, but you know, we live in strange times, my friend. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. And New Year's Day, we were supposed to see the Duke basketball team play a game. They did not. They did not nope. play a game a couple of days prior to that as well. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts. Uh, we probably knew something like this would happen given the state of the world right now and that sort of thing. But uh, we'll just start there. It really was a bummer that we had to already postpone two of those games. But great high or great foresight from the head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, to kind of switch up the forfeiture policy that was in place by the league so that these games could be postponed and rescheduled. Yeah, Coach K was calling for the ACC to change their COVID protocols even before Duke uh, came down with a, yeah. a nasty case of COVID that uh, my understanding is uh, ripped through not only you know pretty much the entire team, but much of the coaching staff, not Coach K, but much of the rest of the coaching staff and the support staff. One of the interesting things that came out earlier this week when Coach K um, uh, did his uh, weekly press availability, he said that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of those people who they aren't in the spotlight, that they are folks who really take care of the Duke program, that this had affected them as well. And he described it, you know, as a really difficult time for everybody involved in the program. Uh, you know, the thing I the thing I noticed and, and we're pushing ahead now to the Georgia Tech game, but I, I you know, there's no way to talk about the Georgia Tech game without talking about the COVID pause that Duke yeah. went on. I, the thing I noticed was it wasn't just that the team had time off. We've seen the team take breaks before for exams and other things like that. This was time off from not just games, but practice. Coach K told us that um, it wasn't until Monday that they practiced as a team, uh, you know, over the entire, basically since Christmas, they went close to two weeks without practicing. And, and yeah, boy, did you ever see it on the floor when they played Georgia tech? But I, I will say this, I'm it, in a strange kind of way. I'm, I'm glad they got the COVID out of their system, so to mm -hmm. speak. I think it would be very surprising based on what the scientists, what the experts tell us if Duke runs into another COVID problem this season. Um, so there's something to be said for that. Get it, get it out of the way now. A friend of mine, <laughs> right, a no, friend exactly. of mine said to me when he when we first heard that Duke was having some COVID problems, he said, "Shouldn't we 
Shouldn't we just take the entire team, put them all in a closet together for a few minutes and say, okay, we're, we're done with this now. Give us a week and we'll be, we'll be out of the woods. And that's sort of what it feels like happened. No, for sure. We'll see the brighter side. Absolutely. Now that it's come and gone. Yeah. It was interesting listening to uh, coach K speak after the Georgia tech game, which I do want to get into uh, the context of the game itself in a moment, but mentioning that not only basketball, apparently this is kind of going crazy right now uh, throughout the entire Duke athletic department with coming back from holiday breaks and that sort of thing, seeing an uptick in cases. But then he mentioned that Monday practice Sunday, the team got together. A couple of guys were able to do some shooting drills and that sort of thing but to get some shots up, get their legs back under them. But noted after the contest that at practice on Monday, one player, he didn't name who it was, but one player was out there for three or five minutes and then had to vomit off to the side before he came back in and kind of got used to it. And when you watched the game, just as a viewer, Jason, it really did just kind of feel like they didn't have that extra burst or that step or that speed. Speed was well, one of the bigger takeaways I had from this. Yeah, you know, it was partially the the extra burst. I, what I really noticed was they just didn't have their shooting touch. I think that they hadn't been getting up a lot of shots. And uh, I, I I actually think, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of credit that needs to be given to this team for attacking Georgia Tech the way they did, for recognizing that they weren't going to be able to generate sort of the mid-range game that, that they usually do. And Duke... Duke either took the ball to the hole or shot an open three in this game. And, and that's, that's a smart way of attacking the sport of basketball. I looked at the shot chart from this game. JJ, have you looked at it? I got a I question haven't. for you. So I'm going to turn, turn it around. You're, you're interviewing me, but I'm going to ask you the it. question. <laughs> How many shots do you think Duke took between the lane, the paint and the three point line? Mid range shots. How many shots do you think Duke took in this game? I wouldn't be able to give you a good guess. I can't – several shots at the rim I can remember. I'm, I'm trying to stall to think here. Uh, six or seven, Jason. What was they it? They took two. Wow. There were only two shots that Duke took that were either not in the paint or outside the three-point line. That is some – that's some shot discipline, my friend. Both those shots, by the way, were taken by Paulo Bancaro. Paulo took about a 14-footer sort of off to the elbow um, where he, he right. took in a few dribbles and – and pulled up. It was a very NBA kind of shot. We've seen Paulo take that shot a lot. He also took a, a baseline jumper of about eight footer that he missed. Everything else Duke took was either a three or in the lane. Now they, they took some jumpers in the lane that weren't, you know, exactly right. at the rim. And they missed a lot of those, a lot of those. And they would usually make a lot of those. But for the most part, this Duke team attacked the basket with the ball. They got into the lane. Um, and even when, the, when they weren't able to finish, which was too often <laughs> they got fouled. And to me, one of the big stats from this game, I mean, look, clearly Duke taking 40 free throws was the reason they won this ball game. There's no question about that. They, yeah. they took 40 Georgia tech only took 12, even though we shot terrible from the free throw line, you know, I, we only hit 65% of our free throws. We still scored a ton of points at the free throw line. When you shoot 40 free throws, that's going to happen. But to me, the big stat was this Paulo Bancaro drew nine fouls. Jeremy Roach drew seven fouls. AJ Griffin drew six fouls. These guys were attacking the basket, attacking the lane. They were getting fouled. They were going to the free throw line and shooting their free throws. Paulo took 16. Jeremy Roach took nine free throws. AJ Griffin, eight free throws. When you've got three guys who are combining to shoot more than 30 free throws, come on. 
Yeah, that is that is attacking the basket, and that's what Duke had to do to to beat a game Georgia Tech team on a day when Duke didn't have it from from you know their regular offensive arsenal. A good way to look at it because my first takeaway when when kind of talking about this game was the sixty five percent from the free throw line. That's just a lousy number. Duke's got to get better. They are a better free throw shooting team than what we saw versus Georgia Tech. But the fact that they were able to shoot so many twenty six makes even though it was such a low percentage, that's over a third of your points being scored there when they had 69 total and 26 of them are coming from the free throw line. Uh, We mentioned Paolo and what a a great complete game he had with uh, leading the team and assists even in the contest on Saturday. That typically had been the Wendell Moore Jr. role for the Stuke basketball team. And Jason, for the first time this season, Wendell Moore Jr. came back down to more of a human level he came back down to uh, the level of the rest of us as only two of 11 from the floor, two points, two rebounds, excuse me, two rebounds, two assists to go along with eight points. First time we saw Wendell kind of struggle a little bit with the shot and uh, just inability to make a couple. Yeah. And it wasn't just his shot, by the way, he had three turnovers and Wendell's been really, really great. His assist to turnover ratio on the season is uh, it's something like two and a half or three to one. It's, it's a, a really good number. And, and it was, it was negative, you know, it was less than one, his assist to turnover ratio in this game, only two assists and three turnovers. Yeah. I, I thought um, I, I'm guessing that Wendell may have had one of the worst cases of COVID on the team. Mm-hmm. His explosion, his quickness did look a little bit lacking. What I noticed was he kept on taking the ball in the lane and taking it to the basket and he was getting his shot blocked a fair amount. He had three of his shots were blocked. Georgia Tech is not a great shot blocking team. So for them to block him three times, um, you know, that 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 really shows you that maybe he wasn't getting quite as much lift, quite as much separation on his shot as he usually does. I, I will credit him with this. He only had two assists, but he had the best assist of the entire game with about three and a half minutes left to go in the contest when it was a close game. It was a six point game and he drove the ball, got the defender on his hip like he really likes to and was coming up to the baseline, and a couple of Georgia Tech guys came to meet him. And A.J. Griffin, who I'm starting to think may be the smartest or one of, easily one of the smartest ball players on this team. You can tell his dad is a pro. Yeah. You can tell his dad is a pro coach. A.J. Griffin saw Wendell heading, down the, heading toward the baseline, and A.J. made a hard cut. No one on Georgia Tech saw him coming. A.J. makes that hard cut into the middle, and Wendell dropped a beautiful pass to him. There's no one near him, and A.J. got that tomahawk slam that elevated the atmosphere in Cameron, gave Duke from a six-point to an eight-point lead, and was really a great play on both sides of it. And by the way, the very next time down the floor, A.J. is the one who drives the baseline and finds Trevor Keels. He makes a long pass. Mm-hmm. If you go back, if you have a chance to go back and watch this pass again, it's around the three-minute mark. Makes a really long pass over all the defense to Trevor Keels for a wide open three that Keels buries. And that was the moment that took Duke's lead from eight to eleven. That was the moment where I went, okay, start the bus. The game is now officially over. AJ Griffin with one feed from Moore and one feed to Keels has won the game. Start the bus indeed. Yeah, Georgia Tech needs to make the trip back uh, to Atlanta. Duke wins by 12 over the Yellow Jackets. What a great win it was for the Blue Devils. A.J. Griffin has really improved his play down the stretch. This is our Thursday edition of Locked on Blue Devils. Jason, I don't know if you saw this this morning, but Sam Vecini from The Athletic did his newest big board mock draft. A.J. all the way up to number 10 now in his 2022 NBA mock draft. So uh, people are noticing he's having a bigger role for Duke. Yeah, and, and Sam pointed out something that I thought was, I love this. This was really, really smart on Sam's part, and I respect Sam 
uh, tremendously as someone who who looks at drafts. Yeah, uh, he has AJ number ten. He said AJ's not going number ten. He said he's like I want to be clear. If AJ Griffin, if the AJ Griffin we've seen for the past several games is for real, if that's the AJ Griffin we're going to continue to get throughout this season, he's going to go higher than ten. <laughs> <laughs> the NBA is going to go okay. This is a guy who can create, maybe even play a little bit of point guard, but he's certainly someone who is a creator. He has got a beautiful, feathery, smooth shot, and he is a dynamic defender. You know, a 3 and D guy who maybe offers you a little more than the typical 3 and D. He said if he's that, he's going in the top seven picks. On the other hand, if he reverts a little bit to the player that was struggling to get playing time at Duke that, you know, maybe was a little unsure of himself, if he reverts to what he was, he's not going as high as 10. Then he's, you know, then, then you're looking at late first round and maybe even – coming back to school because certainly AJ's family, his father earned 10 million plus in the NBA. His father's currently a very, very well-paid NBA assistant coach. The family doesn't need the money right away. If AJ doesn't feel like he's in his best spot, he can be, then he, you know, there's, he could certainly decide to come back to Duke. I don't think any of that is, yeah. is a foregone conclusion, but Sam Vecini was saying either this guy's going higher or lower right now. He's at number 10, but that's just because I'm not sure whether he's going to end up going higher or lower. <laughs> I think the best thing for Duke, Honestly, as much as I'd love to have him back, best thing for Duke is that AJ plays his way into being a top five pick. <laughs> right. No, that'd be awesome. That'd be amazing if his play continues to improve that way. All right. So talking about the win versus Georgia Tech, want to get ready for the game coming up on Saturday as Duke will have a second consecutive game at home when they take on the 4-0 and Miami Hurricanes. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, I do want to let you know about our friends over at NetSuite. Again, this is it. You've got the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth with visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now through the end of the year, they're offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash NCAA. netsuite.com slash NCAA. Welcome back into the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. JJ Jackson here with Jason Evans from the Duke Basketball Report. Make sure you check out their podcast. Uh, They've been doing it for a very long time. It's really good. I love their previews and recaps that they have for every single Duke game throughout the season. So as we transition now to a Miami basketball team, Jason, that is 4-0 in the conference right there at the top. Duke undefeated as well, but they've played two fewer games than the Hurricanes. What are we kind of expecting? What can you tell us about Miami? This is a really interesting opponent because on the one hand, you sort of, you know, if you look at the advanced metrics on them and you say, oh, they're, you know, they're barely ranked in the top 90 in, in Ken Palm in, in the Pomeroy rankings, that shouldn't be a team that competes with Duke that's ranked, you know, easily in the top 10, almost in the top five. But uh, if you break down Miami on the two different ends of the floor, they are a team of startling contrasts. This is one of the best offensive teams in the country. They are ranked 26th in offensive efficiency in in all of uh, college basketball. Really, really good team about protecting the ball, about you know not making turnovers. They're almost in the top 10 in terms of turnover rate in, in the country. Good three-point shooting team hits better than 35% of their threes. Uh, they, they take smart shots. They're, they're a really good two-point shooting team. They are one of the 25 best offenses in all of college basketball. 
but they're terrible. And I mean, terrible on defense. They are one of the, uh, they're one of the bottom 100, 150 or so defenses in the country. Wow. They give up a ton of three pointers. Their opponents hit ready for this 37 and a half percent from three. <laughs> That's a huge number. Yes, it is. You, you cannot be letting your opponents hit almost 38% from three point range. Miami's just terrible about that. They, they don't do a good job of turning their opponents over. They're a lousy, I mean, lousy rebounding team. One of the worst rebounding teams in all of college basketball, both offensive and defensive rebounding. So this, you know, this paints a picture of a game. First of all, that's going to be played uh, at a high score. You know, they're a good offense and they're lousy on defense and, and Duke will certainly try and take advantage of that. But the thing that concerns me about Miami is, first of all, they appear to be playing better lately than they were earlier in the season. Um, they, 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 you know, they've currently won, what is it? Uh, I think it's eight in a row, um, which is, you know, that's an impressive win streak, no matter when you put it up there. And they're 4-0 in the ACC. They may be starting to figure it out a little bit. They're already really good on offense. If they're starting to figure it out a little bit on defense, and especially when you play Duke, you know, teams are so geeked up to play Duke. I think that sometimes, you know, they put in that extra effort that it takes to be a better, uh, to be a better defensive team. They put in that extra effort that it takes to be a little better at rebounding. Well, the two things Miami is really bad at is defense and rebounding. If they put in that extra effort, they could really present a problem for Duke. A lot of folks, you know, have written off this Miami team. Well, now they're 4-0 in the ACC. They should not be written off. And I, I'm really looking forward to this game. Duke's going to have to score. Unlike yeah. that Georgia Tech game where we got away with, you know, scoring in the mid-60s. Uh, here, here are the last three games, all against ACC opponents for Miami. They scored 91 against NC State. They scored 92 against Wake Forest. Then they scored 88 against the Syracuse zone. It is not easy to score 88 points on Syracuse, my friend. That's basically, they're averaging 90 points a game. Better than 90 points a game over their last three ACC games. Uh, Duke is going to have to put up a big number against this Miami team. This should not be overlooked. This is not an easy ACC game. I actually think there's a decent argument. This could be one of the like, you know, three, maybe four toughest games left for Duke on their ACC schedule. Yeah, it's Duke, again, the only team currently ranked in the top 25, but Miami's making a good case as to why they deserve to be ranked amongst the best teams in college basketball. Again, the undefeated start, they really could score in bunches. You mentioned Duke needing to match that. Duke's got to be able to score the basketball. Let's get a little bit more there, Jason. The Duke angle and this, what does that look like? Is it more shots at the rim? Is it trying to set up shots from the outside? When we see Duke offensively at their best, as we begin to sort of navigate through this ACC season, what does that look like in your eyes? Well, to me, the big question about Duke is how much do they go small ball? Um, and, you know, it, it may depend on the opponent, but I think we've started to see more and more that Coach K thinks his closing lineup, his best lineup, does not include Mark Williams or Theo John, that his best lineup is with Paulo Bancaro as the biggest guy on the floor. And if Duke is able to rebound with that lineup, and, and by the way, that lineup is, uh, you know, Jeremy Roach, Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, AJ Griffin at power forward, and Paulo Bancaro at center. Although Paulo doesn't play like a center by any stretch right. of the imagination. If Coach K, if th- that if that lineup can rebound, then that is a truly formidable lineup to present to the opposing team because on defense they can switch one through five. 
I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Jeremy Roach struggles if you put him on a guy who's six, eight or taller, but for the most part, all the rest of those guys are perfectly comfortable guarding the six, three, you know, quick, quick guard as they are guarding the six, eight, six, 10 big man. Um, it is a truly switchable lineup and on offense. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know how you stop Paulo if he's the biggest guy on the floor. Um, uh, if you're on defense and he's on offense because his ability to put the ball on the floor against your big man and, and create a shot for himself in the lane is it, it, it there just aren't, there are very, very few big men in college basketball who can stay in front of Paulo, who can bother him. And then you surround him with all those shooters. Um, AJ Griffin has one of the most silky smooth feathery shots around right now. Trevor Keels we've seen can really score, um, and when we get the regular Wendell Moore, he's probably, I think he's a first team all American. Um, that lineup to me is a really difficult lineup for Miami or any other team in the ACC to deal with. Uh, and I'm not saying that I don't want Mark Williams to play. Right. I want Mark Williams to get his 20 to 25 minutes. And I think that Mark can be tremendously impactful in those minutes, but, but watch carefully. I mean, we saw it against Georgia tech. Final few minutes of that game when it was a competitive game, Coach K did not have Mark Williams in the contest. And I think that's something to look for against Miami, um, especially because Miami has a lot of offensive weapons. I think that that lineup for Duke, that smaller lineup, is more versatile and is able to handle teams that, um, you know, where they, they, they've got multiple ways they can go after their scoring. Because we saw that against Georgia Tech, kind of the, the limited minutes for Mark Williams. We saw that in the opener versus Virginia Tech, but even versus Georgia Tech down to just 21 minutes of court time for Mark Williams. And he still has 14 rebounds in 21 minutes of competition, along with the double-double being able to pour in 10. We also saw Joey Baker's minutes go down to just seven. Theo John only played four. AJ's numbers clearly going up. Is that more of what we're going to see in the future, or can there be more of a role for, for Joey Baker for one? You know, it's really tough to say. I, I I caution against anyone drawing too many inferences out of that Georgia Tech game because we don't know which guys had bad cases of COVID. We don't know, you know, the conditioning. It's a really good way to look at it, yeah. Yeah, we don't know the conditioning of, of the entire team. We, we we do know that they hadn't practiced much. Right. And that they hadn't been in, um, you know, they hadn't been conditioning as much as they should have. Uh, and so, and and Coach K talked about in his weekly press conference, um, he talked about the need to get the guys back in shape, but not rush it. He said, you know, that's a bad thing. If you try and go too fast on, on getting everybody back to where they need to be in terms of conditioning, um, it, it, it can create problems. So they're going to try and do it gradually. Uh, I think that this game against Miami, now that we're going to be, you know, almost a week of practices into uh, the post-COVID time, I think we'll get a better sense in this game. I think a lot of it is going to depend on the opponent and – uh, you know, and who's playing well and the such. Um, but but there's a simple reality, which is um, if A.J. Griffin is the player we've seen over the past few weeks, and there's no reason to think that he isn't, he, he's going to demand 20-plus minutes a game. There's yeah. no question about that. <laughs> and there's a limit. There, are, there In a non-overtime game, there are a total of 200 minutes that can be given out. <laughs> and you got to divvy and, them up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you got to divvy them up in, in the way that makes your team – have the best chance of winning. And I'm not sure that there is um, in a really competitive game that there is 10 minutes for Joey Baker, maybe close to that. And, and especially if Joey gets a little bit hot and I, I love having a shot coming off the bench and 
Um, and the versatility he gives us off the bench. Uh, I love Joey and all, all that he's done for the program. And I'm glad he's having his best year now as a senior, but, um, but I, I'm not sure there's a huge role for him going forward down the stretch. And, and I, I think that that applies even more to Theo John. Uh, we saw less than four minutes for Theo against Georgia tech. Um, I, I suspect that in ACC games, you're going to continue to see something like that, that Theo probably doesn't get more than about five minutes or so per game. Um, we're already struggling to find minutes for Mark Williams, sure. who's a far more impactful player than Theo John. And, and Mark played great against Georgia Tech when he was in there. Sure. Um, make no mistake, uh, even though I've talked about how potent that small lineup is, boy, I, I love when Mark Williams is underneath that basket saying, I dare you to come in here. Because yeah. most teams, they don't take that dare. <laughs> no, they do not. No, they do not. That's the voice of Jason Evans with the Duke Basketball Report. They've got their latest podcast up, episode 376 of the DBR podcast, putting in great work. We begin to wrap things up right after this. I want to get another weekend preview with Jason straight ahead, but I want to tell you about our friends over at Get Upside. Hey, Duke fans, this is JJ Jackson with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That totals up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app for free. Use promo code SCORE to get 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. You can cash out anytime with your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. The free GetUpside app and use promo code SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, today. Our final sponsor today, we want to let you know about our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline is where all the best bets are at. They want to wish you a very new and happy betting year as we continue to march toward the playoffs in many sports and beyond. The number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. From basketball, football, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't take it, Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. You can get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up today using promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet online where the game starts. Here on Lockdown Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson with Jason Evans. Jason, as we get set for the weekend, obviously Saturday night, an 8 o'clock Eastern start. All eyes will be in Durham as the Blue Devils welcome in the Miami Hurricanes. But the best part about Saturday, Jason, is we have officially reached ACC play and barring any late COVID postponements, I love these Saturdays where you've just got lunchtime to dinner time full of ACC contests. Your thoughts on the ACC league so far, as again, we mentioned briefly that Duke is the only team ranked in the top 25. You've got Clemson and NC State playing one another, Virginia, North Carolina, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Boston College, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame and Tech, and then Louisville and Florida State. I'm putting you on the spot here. I didn't prepare you for this, Jason, but is there any team in particular maybe that you uh, that you really like? I really like in terms of like uh, succeeding this weekend? I right. mean. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I'm just looking at some of these matchups that Go I ahead. think are really, really compelling matchups. Um, we're going to learn a lot about some of the top teams in the ACC this weekend. Uh, Virginia, who's 4-0 in the conference. You, you mentioned Miami. Virginia is the other team. I'm sorry, not Virginia, Louisville. I, I misspoke. Louisville is the other team that is 4-0 in the conference, right. um, along with Miami. And they've got a game with Florida State that is a really big – first of all, it's at Florida State. And Florida State is just 1-2. 
Uh, we're used to Florida State being one of the top teams in the league. Yes, we are. This, this may be sort of the hill that they have to die upon. Florida State needs a win. You can't go to one and three because, J.J., all your listeners should, should know this. There is a key number. The number is 12. If you're an ACC team other than Duke, maybe Carolina, but really other than Duke, you've got to, get, you've got to find a way to get 12 wins, maybe 13, because the ACC is not very strong this year. If you want to make the NCAA tournament, I think 12 ACC wins, 12 and eight is the minimum. I don't think they're going to take any 11 and nine teams. If you're 11 and nine, you're probably being left out. So you got to get to 12, maybe 13. 12 gets you in the conversation. So these teams have to start looking at their schedules and figuring out, okay, where am I getting to 12? Louisville is already at four. Florida State's at one. If Florida State falls to one and three, they're in real trouble. So that Louisville-Florida State game to me is a big game. It's also going to tell us, is this, is this Louisville team really for real? Right. Are they, you know, is that 4-0 and a legitimate 4-0? and Because they haven't really played the top of the conference to get to it. Um, but that's a big game. And then Virginia, North Carolina. Virginia's 3-1. and Carolina's 2-1. and We thought Virginia was, was completely buried. We thought this Virginia team was not going to be a good team this year. And lo and behold, they've gone ahead and they, they've won some early ACC games. And maybe they're starting to figure it out a little bit. I mean, they've been, they've been truly God awful on offense, but they're starting to get better at it. And uh, I, I think that this game, North Carolina, you know, coming off a loss, they, they, they did not play well. And it, it to me, this game that is at, um, uh, at North Carolina is, is a, is a big game for Carolina and Virginia. And then the last one is Wake Forest who was the absolute surprise team of the league coming into ACC. I, I think they won their first two games in ACC play and everyone sort of thought that Wake Forest was, um, you know, really ready to rise up. And, and, and then, you know, they suffered a loss to Miami last weekend. They're currently sitting at two and two in the conference. Um, they've got a great non-conference record. Uh, they, they went nine and one in the non-conference, but they, they, they need to find ways to find wins. They've got a home game against Syracuse which is their last game before they play, before they host Duke. Um, uh, Syracuse is a team that's really struggling. It's a team they should beat. But if Wake Forest is looking ahead to that Duke game, then that could be a game they really struggle in. If Wake is for real, they need to take care of Syracuse on Saturday. It's just, it's a really full slate of, of, of tremendously interesting games. Yeah. And all the teams that you mentioned there with, with obviously the North Carolina ties and the big rivalry, you've got Virginia as well. Florida State and then Wake Forest. Florida State, as you said, playing the 4-0 Louisville Cardinals. And then immediately following that for the Seminoles, a team that we thought, and I was one of the people that were like, oh, yeah, they'll figure it out. They're fine. It's Leonard Hamilton. They play Miami right after Louisville this weekend, Jason. Yeah. So they're playing the two 4-0 teams back-to-back. Then they've got a contest versus Syracuse. And then on Tuesday, J- January 18th, they host Duke. So Duke uh, it has Florida State coming up on the radar relatively soon. Wake Forest, as you said, the opponent next for Duke after Saturday's game versus Miami. But uh, yeah, it's kind of been an up and down year, I would say. We talked a little bit about Virginia now being three and one on the season in league play. But the North Carolina Tar Heels, a loss last night versus Notre Dame. They obviously had that game versus Kentucky where they didn't even get off the bus in Las Vegas, it looked like, as they got ran out of the gym entirely. Really impressive 30-point victory over Boston College. But uh, as, as, as here we are on the Duke podcast, we got to talk a little Tar Heels. What's your take on uh, the team down the road? Uh, they, they appear to be a team that really, really struggles on defense. They're, they're just not a good defensive team. And uh, 
and they're not a good rebounding team. Um, we're, we're used to Carolina being, especially on offense. Uh, we're used to Carolina being a great offensive rebounding team. Uh, Hubert Davis wanted them to be better shooters. They're a really good three-point shooting team. He wanted better shooting out of his club, and he, sac- he has sacrificed rebounding to get better shooting. And, you know, the, the jury's sort of out on whether or not that was a good sacrifice or a bad one. But they're, they're just not a good defensive team. They are one of the worst teams in the country at turnovers, uh, d- defensive turnovers, like getting turnovers, getting steals and the such. Um, they're terrible at it. Uh, literally one of the bottom three, two or three teams in the country at turnover percentage on defense. Um, so, you know, if they're not going to be able to stop people, if they're not going to be able to turn people over and get easy baskets that way, then then they're going to struggle. And, and uh, you know, the, there are going to be a lot of games where maybe the baskets won't come as easily as they as they should. And if you if you struggle to stop people, you're going to be in real trouble. Look, look the team I want to talk, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm becoming fascinated by Louisville. Yeah. Like, like I said, they're, they're four and oh, have a listen to their next five games. Okay. Cause this team could be nine and oh, right. In the ACC. They've got Florida state on the road, but Florida state's really struggling. They got NC state at home, Pittsburgh on the road. Pittsburgh's terrible. Yep. Austin college at home. And then Notre Dame at home. Again, that's their next five. They're four and oh, they've got Florida state, NC state. They really Pittsburgh. could be nine and oh. Wow. And then BC, and then they have Notre Dame at home. They could be 10 and 0 um, before the, and then they face, and then they got, and then they go on the road to Virginia at the end of January. But this Louisville team could easily come into late January undefeated in the ACC and, you know, really knocking on the, on the door of being a, a top 25 team, even though they, you know, they, they haven't had a super impressive season so far. The only good team that they've beaten really, they beat Wake Forest, who's not that great, and they beat Maryland um, and they beat Mississippi State. But I mean, those, those aren't the kind of wins that you're like, oh, I'm hanging my hat on that NCAA tournament committee. I beat Mississippi State. <laughs> They're not going to be too interested in that. But if you can string together wins like that, I, I really think this Louisville team, that's why I'm so fascinated by this Florida State game. Because it really, uh, you know, a road game at Florida State, this is the toughest game they've got coming up in the next five, six games. And if they can win that, they could really, really get on a roll. He's on Twitter at Jason Duke Evans. We're both very much so looking forward to a bunch of great games happening this weekend in the ACC. A couple of also really exciting games just in college basketball that you need to check out as well. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Jason, really do appreciate the time. Once again, our first conversation here in 2022, but certainly not the last. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for the time today, Jason. Good to see you. Absolutely. Thanks, JJ. That is Jason Evans with the Duke Basketball Report. Make sure you check out their podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review their show, as well as this one that you're listening to here on Lockdown Blue Devils. Follow our show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. Thank you very much for listening. For Jason Evans, I'm JJ Jackson saying thank you and good day.